Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined by my running partner today, Molly Williams. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, so Molly, what you've been doing since the last few hours since I saw you? <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast, dogs, the usual. Yep, yep. So you found three pennies on the run this morning. Uh, one of them was in the pavement, though. Yes, right. But it's been a slow month. I think I'm up to four cents now. I, I hardly... Well, I think you f- five. Didn't you find two? I think... Well, because Maybe... you're not counting the penny that is still back there at at, uh, whatever whatever yeah. I, i'm assuming you are well ahead of four or five cents or wherever i am at this point i um only because i found that quarter in connecticut mm-hmm. um and that was um uh just oh my goodness so but what do you have 30 cents mm, you gotta have more than that I, I probably have i don't know 31 32 cents okay. so but it's, it's been a, a slow month it's been a slow month i mean yeah. particularly we had really strong june and julys both of us did mm-hmm. i wonder why maybe people uh streets are there people are out and they're picking up the change you know because oh that's intriguing or is it because everybody in portland goes on vacation in august so nobody's out there everybody's out of money <laughs> <laughs> they've all been to europe <laughs> yeah. i'll get that penny honey <laughs> and uh or i also think there are a few leaves coming off the trees so the streets aren't quite as clean as they were hmm. so the money might be obscured a little bit that's true it's a possibility i do not but i mean we had just banner june and julys mm-hmm. so um like that day we found um we found 70 cents and so that we so that we each got to take away a dime and a quarter from yeah. that experience that was good um no we we've fa- see we both kind of saw the money at the same time but we saw different money well, that we saw, there were so two I saw quarters di- and two dimes. <laughs> yeah, so that I felt like I claimed the dime first, and then I claimed the dime, but you were bending down, and it was the first time I actually said to you, "No, no, no." I called them; they're mine. And then we both are like quarter, right? So, so there there was a little bit of scrambling, there was yeah. a little bit of debate, but in the end, we decided it was fair enough to split it down yeah. the middle. But I do that love we... that it was two dimes and two quarters. Yeah. Like it was perfectly made mm-hmm. for money grubbing running mm-hmm. partners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like a nickel and a penny and a God, dime. God said, I'm going to avoid a fight this morning. Right. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and then of course, a couple of blocks later, we both were like, yeah, but what if I'd been alone? Uh-huh. <laughs> Would have been a really good find. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. You're worth more than 35 cents mm. to me, Molly. <laughs> and we've been on vacations. Yeah. You want to see your parents? Well, yeah, I guess, I guess I don't, I sort of don't, sort think of, of don't feel that was a vacation. Uh, yeah, you have truly had more of um, vacation. Did you not find any money when you were on Whidbey Island or not a down in Ashland? No. Oregon. I didn't run in Ashland, but. Oh, you didn't? Oh, no. too hot? Yeah. Too, too lazy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> more to the point. Yes. <laughs> really? Because there's, I told you there's that good, we're talking about Ashland, I, Oregon, which is where the world-renowned Shakespeare Festival is and so I walked Lithium Park oh you did okay. yeah yeah it's okay. very pretty but it's not very long it's not very long oh no, and Lainey went to my daughter went to go run that morning because she is exercise obsessed uh-huh. so she got up and she took the car from the hotel down to Lithium Park to run and she's running through there and there's a sign up that there's bears oh that really? bears have been seen and she was out pretty early and she was gonna go up on the trail up above where the, the main path is and she's like yeah no there's nobody out here and I'm just bear so yeah she wow. um she switched over to the road and came home uh-huh. and it's kind of hilly over there too. it is very yeah. hilly i was gonna say that road in particular in my mind I, well, I was running there last year not too long after i returned to running after my uh, ankle fractures so it's in my mind it's incredibly hilly <laughs> yeah but, well it, it is kind of it's a, it's a steep bank on the side of the little lithium creek or whatever it is mm-hmm. there and then yeah it's just there's no flat mm-hmm. around ashland except for the very bottom Right, right. And for anyone who's listening, Ashland's down near the California border. Yep. Um, And very, very pretty town. Very pretty town. Yep. It was very warm, though. It was in the high 90s when we were down there. Low hundreds, even. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. It was really hot. Mm -hmm. Dry heat. So when I was in Connecticut, I did run. I ran every day except the day that we um, flew all night and landed. And gosh, I was tired. Um, Took a three hour nap when I got to my parents' house. But um, no, I ran every day and. Oh, that, that human! I think I talked about it with Adrian last week, but that the humidity just kicked my butt. But I have, from years of running in Connecticut, I know that there is not much change to be found on those streets. And and you and I have debated, you know, that there's not as many pedestrians, there's not as many kind of lifestyle cyclists. I mean, there's a lot of people who bike in Connecticut, but they're all, mm-hmm. you know, totally kit in their kit, and they sound like they have, you know, change left over from when they got coffee ten minutes before. And um, so I have in the past, I think one run, I found a nickel and a quarter 
on the same run. So that was a big highlight. But then this time, you know, it's not like, I mean, you and I almost always find pennies when we go out on runs, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. I would, almost more often than not, we find one of us finds a penny at least. Mm-hmm. And so nothing. So on my last run there, before I set out, I'm like, just put it out in the universe. I'm like, I am going to find silver money today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so I went running and sure enough, at the intersection of this fairly busy road in Stanford, Connecticut, High Ridge Road for people who know it, and um, cutting down to a quieter road, almost ran past it. And I'm like, what, what, what? And it was a quarter. And it definitely, it had been there for a while. It, mm. it was way more nicked up than the money we find here mm. and was um, looked worse for the wear. But I was like, whoa. So you just have to put out those intentions into the real world. Although, although I've been putting paper money intentions out into the world <laughs> and it, they're just not coming back to me. <laughs> Well, keep keep trying. I yeah. I came home and told John that oh I found two cents. He's like, okay, well there's that car payment we need. <laughs> you get back out there. <laughs> yeah, I have thought about it's so fun. Like you know, we'll we'll go for a run. We'll find some you know two cents and get so excited about it. And then you like go to Whole Foods and there's like the change thing that like you know take a penny, leave a penny. I mean, you could easily take three or four cents and give it to the Whole Foods guy, and I don't feel any of the joy that I. <laughs> From right. that exchange that I get from finding the money that I'm never going to spend. Just part of the game. Just part of the game. <laughs> Although the money that I find when I'm not running, I'm going to, I mean, and it's not going to amount to that much anyway, but uh, we've got a charity for people that don't have money to pay for their vet bills and stuff like that. I'm, oh. I'm sticking all that in there now. Oh, look how nice you uh, are. They're one nice thing. Yeah. Look, one. <laughs> look at that. Molly, you're nice. <laughs> Almost. It's, it's Again, it's not going to count for very much. And I'm not going to put a lot of my money in it, but that's what I've decided I'm going to do with the other change. Okay. But now I want to know, I think you need to put a draw a line in the sand and see how much you've found up until this point, because I'm convinced that when you are finding money for a charity, you find more money. Oh, could be. Because look at Krista and Samantha, who are both on the podcast talking about found change, and they find way more money than we find. And I'm convinced it's because they donate it. So the, you know, the karmic ruler of the world says, hey, let's let's hide it from Molly, that selfish Molly and Sarah. It should work that way. It it should. Yeah, Yeah, it should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we run a lot of the same streets that Krista does. I know. And even when Krista, she was out of town for a month visiting her her mom down in California. And I was like, sweet, now let's go run on the roads that she does and we'll find the money she would. Nope. Didn't find didn't find the five and ten dollar bills that she finds. Nope. And Krista doesn't age either. So (laughs) karma, God, all of it definitely likes her. Krista. Oh, Krista, Krista, Krista. Oh, big sigh. Oh, my goodness. She's got a cute kid, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Oh, my goodness. So, well, today we're going to be talking about the mental side of running with psychologist Dr. Justin Ross, whose Denver-based practice is called Mind Body Health. Dr. Ross is a marathon runner and triathlete and a dad of two. He was a guest on a podcast that Dimity and I recorded for the members of the Train Like a Mother Club. And within minutes of that conversation with him, I just was like, oh my gosh, this guy has to be a guest on our show. So voila, he'll be a guest on our show. Um, So, but before we talk about mind games, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a partner. Stay with us. Welcome, Justin. We're so glad you could join us. Well, thanks for having me. Now, did you start out in sports psychology before you were running? Or did that come after the running? Yeah, no. So I, I did um, I have a doctorate degree in, in clinical psychology, and I graduated in 2007. So my background there is really in health and wellness and, and sports and performance. So I, I have had that background before I even started um, running. And then as I got more involved in running, you know, I, I became a little bit more specific in targeting the sports psychology piece specific for um, endurance athletes. So I do end up working with a lot of runners and, uh, and a lot of triathletes. That tends to be the bulk of people that come to see me on the athletic side. Mm-hmm. One of the things that always intrigues me about endurance athletes, and you know, with the Olympics on, there was a profile of the Iron Nun. You probably know her. She's yeah. what, 85 or something. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm relatively new to the endurance thing myself. It's just been nine years or something like that. But why? Why? What is the benefit? Why? I mean, I can tell you what I think, but even even I'm like kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, am I a better person? No. Am I better looking? No. I mean, am I am I adding something to the world? No. Mm-hmm. What What's your answer? 
Yeah, I think, you know, personally for myself, I can, I can answer. I, I think it's just about pushing those limits, right? Finding something that, that is enjoyable and also allows you to kind of see progress. You know, I, I think running and, and triathlon and endurance sports, one of the ways I really talk about it is it's, you know, these are things that you're mastering, but you never master, so there's mm-hmm. continual progress and, and continual improvement. And, um, you know, once you hit a mark and you hit a goal, pretty soon you can think about the next goal, just sort of inching that line, maybe a little bit faster or, or for distance, you know, some people go a little bit further, whatever it may be. So I think that there's this deep-seated need for all of us to connect to that idea of mastery. And for a lot of us, we get that through athletics. Um, and a lot of people get it in other ways through, through music and through nature and, and whatnot. But, uh, for me personally, I just connect to that athletically. Well, I think that's an excellent answer and one of the best answers I've heard because, you know, I'll never be, uh, an elite athlete, but I do achieve that goal and I can push it to the next point. And I, I feel like I've seen that in other aspects of my life. And, um, so I think that's a really good point. Athletics and endurance just help you realize that you may never reach, whatever it is the end point is but your but the striving itself uh is is the goal it's a journey not the, the journey yeah. there we go mm-hmm. that's a better word so thank you very much for that that that's good yeah absolutely i mean you 99.9 percent of athletes especially in the endurance world are, are not elites they're not professionals we we do this because i think a lot of us connect to that idea that we're mastering and we're improving ourselves and i think that gives you the, the connection, that internal connection to self-efficacy and, and being able to push yourself in other areas of life as well. So I think um, that could be a really nice way to feel it and connect to it and understand how it works in, in other areas of life. Mm-hmm. So, so that might lead into the next question. I'm not sure because I'm not exactly sure what the phrase means, but on your website, you say you integrate positive psychology for all your clients. Yeah. And that's a... F- that's a phrase I'm unfamiliar with um, and intrigued by. Yeah. Can you describe it for us? Yeah, absolutely. Please? So I think for a long time, you know, the psychology was really about uh, understanding pathology and what was wrong with people and trying to fix problems. And, um, you know, recently within the last couple of decades, really, there's been a, a bit of a push towards positive psychology, which is understanding how people flourish, understanding what mm. keeps us alive and well and excited and um, engaged in meaningful activities, both internally and externally with those around us. And so that's how I like to practice psychology is from a positive perspective, right? What keeps people afloat? What keeps people, you know, engaged in life? What keeps people excited? Um, because I, I feel like, you know, if, if you can grow that, if you can grow the positive side of life, you sort of crowd out the negativity. Not to say that we're not going to experience negativity at some point, we all will. But the more you can focus on the positivity, the more that becomes a, a bit of a mainstay in your day-to-day and your week-to-week functioning. They talked a lot about that on the Olympics, like when, you know, they would, you know, a swimmer would come out on the deck or whatever, or a gymnast, and they're saying, you know, like, just, they have to remember to enjoy it, and they have mm-hmm. to, um, you know, kind of uh, live in the moment and not worry so much about the outcome of it. And um, you can really see it, I think, see it in a lot of the faces of those athletes and that, you know, it's like, oh, okay, she looks like she's having a good time. And it kind of translates into um, their performance, it seems to me. Yeah, absolutely. If if you can be in the moment, right, I think that's such a big part, especially these people, they're on the world stage. um, And there's a lot of pressure just to get to that point. Uh, the more you can be focused in the moment and the, the more you can reduce stress and anxiety, the, the better you're going to perform and the better time you're going to have. And that goes for, you know, people on the world stage over in Rio right now um, to people getting ready to, you know, hit a starting line in the fall here, whatever, whatever race they may be trying to focus on and whatever distance, mm-hmm. and whatever time goal they have. It's all mm-hmm. the principles are all very much the same. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I remember I used to, when I used to watch the Olympics when I was younger, I would always feel so badly for the people when they'd be on the starting blocks because I'm like, oh, they're going to be hurting so bad in a couple <laughs> seconds. And um, the other night I was watching, I thought, oh, I don't feel badly for them anymore. Like I, I think like, oh, how exciting. This is it. This is their moment. This is that they finally get to see what they can do. Mm-hmm. And I sort of thought like, oh, well, m- maybe 
Maybe my attitude toward performance <laughs> has changed a little. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so a little, a, a little epiphany while I was watching NBC <laughs> coverage of the Olympics. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, it changed to that excitement factor, right? That ability to to connect to what's possible. Like, what can I do in this moment, in this event, in this race today? Where am I at today? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And endurance athletics definitely you have to get keyed into that like this is where i am right now i'm not going to worry about where i'm going to be in mm-hmm. two minutes this is okay this is where i am mm-hmm. absolutely yeah the, the only moment you can live is the current one and to be mm-hmm. connected to that right to have this ability to like deeply focus on that moment is is what it's all about and i think you know endurance sports especially when you're out there cranking away for a couple hours at a time, it it can be really easy in your mind to get swept away by the next mile or the next hour or the next week of training or whatever it may be. And that's such a big part of it. It's like, yes, understanding all of that is there, but coming back to the moment and finding a way to do that both in your mind and in your body, it's, it's so critical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes I'll say to Sarah, I'm like, Oh God, in the next week we've got to do this and we've got to do this (laughs) tomorrow. And she's like, no, all I'm worried about is this workout. Right. She won't let me focus on the other things as much (laughs) as I try. Uh She's your own sports psychologist right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh Everybody needs a friend to ignore them, right? Uh (laughs) Um, Well, well, changing tack a little, let's um, explore, you know, that sometimes um, we find excuses to avoid running, even Mm. though like we know how much we benefit from running and enjoy it some, if not most of the time. Um, you know, how can people get over those hurdles of finding excuses of why not to go out and, and exercise? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Because I think um, it's an easy thing for all of us to do um, at some point or another. And I think part of it, you know, to me, I, I think there's really two ways to, to go at it from the beginning. One, it's looking at what the current uh, level of commitment is and, and looking at what the current level of goals are. Um, you know, if there are specific goals, like, so to go back, you know, to, to think about me when I was training for this race, um, in June, I really wanted to qualify for Boston and that goal was very strong for me. And so I, I hit every training that I had on the schedule. Um, so the stronger the goal, the more likely you are to be committed to whatever it takes to, to reach that goal. Um, now after the fact, after I qualified, um, then I was, I, I was happy and I was excited, but I also got a little bit lazy, right? I didn't have anything mm-hmm. I was working on. And then it became a lot easier for me to say, eh, I don't need to run today or, or even this week. I'm going to kind of hang out and take it easy. So I think that's always a starting point for all of us is to connect to what are the main goals that you're working on right now? Is there something specific that you're striving for? Um, or is this just sort of a general lifestyle that you're trying to follow in terms of getting out and, and being active? So again, the, the first part there is like the stronger the goals, the stronger the commitment. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that too. I kind of hate to exercise all the way around, but if I have a goal, <laughs> I do. I, I Honestly, if, if I could just stay home and watch TV and not and not have to worry about the health benefits and all that, I probably, I mean, I get mental benefit out of it. I know, I know, but anyway, I hate you'd, it. You'd miss me so much. I'd miss, that's, honestly, that's the reason I do it. But um uh-huh. But feeling, but feeling the goal gets me out there because before, yeah. when I tried to exercise and I didn't have a goal and I didn't have Sarah, right. it would be very hit, hit or miss. It was a goal. Yeah. But how do you, um, like you've got to organically feel that goal? Like yep. you know, right now I don't have any like particular big goal. I'm going to do a half marathon and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But it's not like a super big goal. It's more like a, you know, I'm going to train for this. I'm going to do the best I can. But it's not. It it. it I've had bigger goals in my life. How yeah. do you ha- do you help your athletes find the big goal? Or does that just have to come organically? I think it, you know, it's a great question. I think, you know, just to interject a little bit, one of the goals it sounds like that, that you have, or one of the values you have is hanging out with Sarah and being with it friends, is. right? And I <laughs> yeah. think sometimes that that's it, right? Is saying, okay, maybe I don't want to run, but I really want to hang out with this community or with this particular person. And that's the incentive to, to get out and to go. And I think that's great. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to be chasing down a, a big race or a big time goal. It's about connecting to values. So in addition to chasing goals, it's about understanding what your values are in terms of being with friends and also, you know, this idea of, of being healthy. And then, you know, more specifically with, with your question, a lot of the athletes that, that come and see me are pretty intrinsically motivated um, mm-hmm. on their own. Um, 
you know, we just had Ironman Boulder was out here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I had a lot of athletes who were chasing big goals there, and they wanted to use, you know, sports psychology and mindset training to sort of capitalize on what they were already doing. So mm -hmm. I see a lot of athletes like that who are really already um, really well-versed at, at pushing themselves naturally. That makes sense. You're really dealing with more of the elite athlete versus the person that wants to get off the couch. and. Mm -hmm. But for the yeah. person wanting to get off the couch or, or be healthy, there, there it's about connecting to values. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people can get hung up in this idea of, well, I'm not good enough or I'm not fast enough or, mm -hmm. you know, I might be ostracized if I go with, with uh, other people. They're not going to want to run with me because I'm slow or what have you. And again, it's about mm -hmm. coming back to thinking about values. Like if you want to be healthy and you want to hang out with your friends and be connected to the community, find a way to allow that value to lead you out the door. Yeah, I hear that from people all the time. Oh, I'm just too too slow to run. Oh, I've run and I've ran before and I'm so slow. I just never get faster. I'm like, well, you're running. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else do you have to do? I mean, you're yeah. probably not going to qualify for the Olympics any day anyway. So, right. <laughs> look, a, a mile a, a mile is a mile, right? It doesn't matter yeah. if you're running, you know, world record sub four minute miles or or eighteen minute miles. It's the same or distance and the walking, health benefits right? are yeah, exactly. The the health benefits. Um, and the longevity is, is what's really important. I have the, so the, here's a, I, I think about things kind of strangely sometimes, but one of the <laughs> ways I think about it is like, I, you know, I plan to have my body for the rest of my life. And I think most people do. It's too, a good plan, Justin. I right. Think, I think, yeah. But it's yeah. like a weird way to think about it. Like you're, you're going to have your body for the rest of your life. And if you want it to operate well and be healthy and be there for you when you're older, um, there's some investment you have to put into it now, whether that's walking or, or running or what have you. Totally. I see that with the iron nun and, and Sarah and I have had this conversation too. It's not the, the goal isn't just that next race or that next goal. It's to keep moving, to be able to keep doing what I love to do, you know, getting outside, swimming, hiking, and this allows me to keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like that connection to, uh, to your future self, right? Wanting to yeah. do this for a lifetime. It's not just about right now. It's about this being a lifestyle approach. Yeah. Well, when I started running, um, uh, it, you know, I was training for a half marathon when I just first started out. Um, I got to, I was and you, you know, you talked about when you did your first five miles and how that was, that felt really hard. When I got to the point where I was doing my first six miles, I was so freaking scared, mm. like jumping into a deep ocean, a full of sharks kind of scared. <laughs> like I, I don't no, really, I, I, I laid, I wouldn't, didn't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I wanted to hide under the covers. I wanted to hide under the bed. That was really my feeling. I wanted yeah. to just hide, hide from it. And I would dread it all week. The first time I went out on a six mile run, not only did I have like three bottles of water, and my phone, I, I honestly, I felt like calling the police to let them know I, was, <laughs> I did. I, I talked myself down from it, that I was going out on the six mile run and they just might want to be aware in case something happened. And then I realized that was ridiculous. And, and it went okay, but that fear remained. Uh, I, it, when I got home, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, great, I did it. It was more like, okay, I escaped death. Now I've got to <laughs> worry about the next time I got to escape death. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I was in a really, really tough mental place. And what ultimately happened is that I hurt my knee and I just had to stop running. Mm. And then I was able to come back to it slower. But have you um, had athletes that have experienced like a deep-seated fear to the endurance sports? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it, it usually, it's usually one of two things. Just like you're saying, it's about distance, right? And it doesn't even matter how far the distance is. It's a fear of being able to, to run that far or swim that far or bike that far, what have you. And the other, the other big mental block is usually about, about pace, right? If people are trying to run really hard, they can have a mental block about running a, a certain pace because it's uncomfortable. It can be really hard to push your limits um, when, you're, when you're running at the, uh, you know, at the full end of your spectrum. And so that's really common for, for all of us. I mean, you know, I remember the first time I ran a marathon, um, I got out of the, the car to the starting line. Um, my wife dropped me off and I said, well, I don't know if I can do this. Um, mm. And that's there for all of us, despite, you know, having this kind of this background and this knowledge. 
And yet I think that's that's the good stuff with this, right? Because you toe the line and then you find out what you're made of and you get through it and by doing it, you grow a little bit stronger and you, you realize that maybe that fear, um, the fear is important. Oh, I like that. So don't shy away from the fear. Embrace the fear. It's important. Yeah. And go forward. Yeah, with it's, the fear. it's not about being afraid, right? I, I think a lot of people... Um, when they when they get to the starting line of whatever race, whether it's a 5K or a marathon or Ironman or whatever, there's fear involved. Um, and that fear is really important. It's not about not being afraid. It's about having the courage to, to push yourself through that and to come out on the other side. And, um, I, you know, the finish line of races is one of the greatest places because people are mm-hmm. so excited and they, mm-hmm. they look at themselves from this new perspective of, of belief that, you know, the limits are really self-made and, and um, they exist more in the mind than they do in the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that too. I feel less afraid to try a lot of different things in my life now. I mean, in dumb things like a sewing project. I'm like, well, what's the worst that could happen now? You know, <laughs> I ran that six miles. <laughs> so I've got a seam ripper. <laughs> <laughs> What happens if you sew it all inside out, Molly? And I, us- <laughs> and I usually do. So, <laughs> but yeah. that's her specialty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I find the topic of mental toughness endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what suggestions, Justin, do you have for developing it, particularly quote later in life for yeah. for folks who who maybe didn't start running until their thirties or forties? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it there that you know the first step is is really about awareness. Um, you know, one of my favorite sayings is you can't change what you're not aware of. And so I think that, you know, I, I think about, I, I tend to call it like the mental game or mental fitness. I think mental toughness is a little component of that, but it's not everything. And so the starting point is just having people become aware of their own mindset, of their own self-talk, of their own self-appraisals that exist through the process of training and running and, um, and racing. Um, because there's a lot of obstacles up there for people, um, especially when it comes to effort. If things start to get uncomfortable, and they do in endurance sports, that's part of it, and they talk to themselves in a, in a negative way or they approach the discomfort by saying, I can't do this, this is painful, I don't know how much further I can go, they're immediately going to start to slow down. And so the first step is just mm-hmm. having people become very aware of the own messages that circle through their minds uh, just through this process of sport. Mm-hmm. Well, it is painful, and you do want to slow down. So mm-hmm. you, you just tell yourself, what do you, what do you tell people to? Well, it depends. Practice. Again, like I think it, de- it, it depends on the goals, right? So for some people who are really trying to crank away at specific goals, there's going to be um, more necessity to tolerate that discomfort, and so then mm-hmm. it becomes, you know, really helping people dial into the messages that go through their minds. Um, and for others, it's just about the messages about getting out the door and keeping this be a lifestyle, right? That whole thought of, oh, it's too hot today. I don't think I really want to mm-hmm. go. My couch is way more comfortable. I'd like to catch up on Netflix, right? All of these thoughts that get in the way. And, and there it's about, okay, understand what those thoughts are, understand what they're kind of prompting you to, and then think about what the bigger value is and how you can mm-hmm. shift that mindset or shift that self-talk so that it's better aligned with uh, with those values. Do you let people modify their goal while they're out there? Like, um, you're, you know, is it dangerous to be in a training run and thinking, okay, so I'm supposed to hit my eight and a half minute mile pace, but boy, it's hot and I've got three more of these to do. I'm going to dial it back down to eight and three quarters or, you know, eight, 45 or something like that. I mean, is that a dangerous thing to like try to negotiate with yourself? Do you talk people out of that or, or can you, do you let people say, well, you know, it is hot. Maybe it was okay to dial it down. I mean, I, I get into that while I'm like, oh no, am I cheating myself by dialing it down or am I being safe because it is hot? Oh no, I don't have any mental toughness. <laughs> I'm going home and watching Netflix. <laughs> right. And then there's all the questioning, right? Like what's, what's yeah. okay? What's not okay? Is this going to be effective? Is this not I think you're, it is a balancing act, right? Especially in the summer um, when there's a heat factor involved. And, you know, there's a big difference between discomfort and, and pain. Um, and when mm-hmm. you get into pain, pain can cause injury. And, and that could be the same thing as running dehydrated 
um, or running way too fast when it's way too hot outside, you can get into some serious trouble. So I think there it is a balancing act about trying, again, to understand what's guiding you. Are you, are you backing down because you want an excuse to not go harder? Or are you backing down because you're really concerned that going eight and a half uh, paces is, is going to be detrimental to your health and well-being? And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. boy, that's a really nuanced place to try to, to navigate. And you, you probably need some experience. If you're a new runner, you won't have the experience to know whether you're really hurting yourself or, or right. not. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, the, new runners should err on the side of being more cautious until they kind of understand their limits. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Um, it's really hard to run on an injury, right? And again, if you approach yeah. this from a lifestyle perspective, this is about staying active and staying healthy for the duration of life, in my opinion. It's not just about chasing today's goal or this week's training plan or whatever race it is. Um, I'd much rather have runners be a little bit conservative so that they can make this a lifestyle goal than, than try to push themselves too hard when their body isn't ready to go that hard because that's when bad things really do happen. Mm-hmm. But what, so, so here you just qualified for Boston in June. So I'm assuming you had some hot runs maybe in April or May there in Colorado. Yep. And so, I mean, how, what did you do on the times when you didn't feel like pushing yourself or, you know, thought, Oh, maybe I'll only do five of these repeats, not the seven that my training plan called for. Like what, right. what tricks do you, or, you know, what techniques do you, call up yeah. to get you to do what you're supposed to do. when you do when there is a like okay I've got a very definite goal you know just staying healthy to play with my grandkids isn't going to be what's motivating me today but trying to reach that goal is right yeah good question so um I got really sick in it was probably about April we had a nasty GI bug go through the house Ooh. and uh kids got it I got it wife got it we were all laid up I missed a, a good week of training and really the three or four weeks after that were really sluggish and slow. Um, and I wasn't anywhere near the numbers that um, I was supposed to be hitting. And it, it was frightening, absolutely. I was, I was worried, um, no doubt about it. But at the same time, uh, I really tried to connect to trust, right? The trusting the process that, um, that I was doing enough, that I had enough background, I had enough training behind me that it was going to be okay. So, you know, really one missed workout or one missed um, pace or one missed set, that doesn't really impact anything. It's about the long haul. And really when I think about the long haul for a lot of us, it's not even just the last month. It's, It's really what you've been doing over the last couple of years, especially for people who have been active for quite a while. And then for people more on, on the new side, Right, it's like taking that trust and in trusting that okay, you want your body to be there next week, you better not do anything to jeopardize that today. And so again, that's that fine balance of not pushing when you're ill, not pushing when you're injured, um, but making sure that you're not pulling back because of a mental fear or a mental anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are you a uh, fan of mantras? You know, absolutely. I think um, for a lot of people, they work really, really well. Um, and for myself, it, it works really well um, at given times. I think uh, it's a really nice way to stay focused. Mm-hmm. And how do you suggest to people how they find a, a mantra? Like just wait till, you know, the breeze goes, blows a word their way? Or, you know, um, should they go more... Um, diligently toward finding a mantra for themselves. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more diligently. Um, we've talked a little bit about this before, um, uh, Sarah, you and I, when it comes to like connecting to something meaningful, right? It, a lot mm-hmm. of times with the people I see, I don't give them a mantra because it, it's not meaningful if it comes from somebody else. It has to come internally to something that matters. And it's really about, in my opinion, mantras are about how you want to be in that moment. Um, so a lot of, and it, it needs to be a simple phrase, uh, one or two, two words. So a lot of times people will connect to this idea of like relax or breathe mm. or something about strength. Um, the one that I usually come back to is, is either about form or flow, right? Just mm. about like being connected that that's how you want to be in that moment. That's how you picture your body, how you picture the movement going. Um, and you develop that deep focus in your mind. It's, it's very important. Hmm. Hmm. And not 
Oh God, that's not the <laughs> mantra. No. No. Right. That's yeah. My, that's mine sometimes. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, uh, this hurts. Yeah. No. Those are gonna backfire. No. Stay. Yeah. Stay away from that one. That's, Make that's it a stop. Good. Don't ask Molly yeah. for mantra no. advice. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do. I do. I, all I've got is this moment. You know, this is it. I'm right here, right now. That's kind of what I keep saying to myself. I'm right here, right now. This is okay. I can do this. I, Anyway, we've talked about that before. Yeah. Do you do you see you see a you have a coach, but do you see a, a sports therapist yourself to talk this stuff through, or you know, just I look in the mirror and yeah, go I just for look, it? I look in the mirror um, and, and go for it. Like, yeah. No, but charge I, yourself. Yeah, that's right. Um, this is this is stuff I I try to practice on on my own, um, and I, I haven't sought anybody out individually for myself, but I, you know, I certainly would if um, if I hit a roadblock or. You know, injuries are a big thing. I see a lot of people with injury, um, and that's a, a big obstacle for people as well. So if it ever came to something like that, I, I would definitely um, seek help. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of unrelated to running, so swimming, mm-hmm. uh, that was a big fear for me to put my face in the water, to yeah. see fish, to not see fish. My fear now is uh, with the deep water that I'm going to see a disembodied hand floating up towards me or that there's going to be sharks. Uh-huh. You know, can, I just, can I just interject uh-huh. right now? Some of the things Molly has said make it be like, wow, Molly's running partner is so weird. And all I think is, gosh, I just love her. I just love her so much for having all these oddball ideas. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Uh, but, and also I think it's that interesting I'm, well, that, the, that the shark and the hand are like equal in fear for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a pond so uh, yeah, it is it's it's a quarry there's like really nothing feeding into it uh, so but but seriously so i'm out there in the deep water and then i start thinking i try it and like don't think about the hand <laughs> and, and then i think about the hand and uh. then i'm like okay and then i have a hard breathing and then i say oh i can't breathe and now i'm panicking and i got float okay calm down so um any thoughts and i just also have to interject uh, I have she a has lot of actual thoughts. she has actual panic on her face as she's saying uh-huh. this like oh, no. she, i can see this playing out uh-huh. in her mind like she's getting a little teary like this this is very visceral for her i just uh-huh. want to point that out yeah. he's fully feeling it right now as she talks about it uh-huh. <laughs> the, well so look at the starting point of that for you right it, it it starts with the thought of don't think these thoughts right and, mm-hmm. and once you do that you immediately get swept into those thoughts so i uh a little bit of a, a tangent here I, I use an analogy um that works well in colorado with skiing um, a lot of people out here ski, and a lot of people here ski in the trees. Um, and the idea here is like when you're skiing in the trees, you can look at one of two things. You can look at the trees, or you can look at the space between the trees. Guess what mm. happens when you look at the trees, right? Your, your body goes towards them, and pretty soon you hit the trees. If you want to mm-hmm. be successful in the trees, it's about looking at the space between them, finding your turn, connecting to that, and then continuing that flow down the mountain. doesn't mean the trees don't exist. It just means you're choosing not to focus on them. And I think thoughts are a lot like that, especially when it comes to, to swimming. Swimming is such a, an anxiety-producing uh, part of, of triathlons and, um, and long-distance swimming for people. And it's that, that starting point of saying, okay, those thoughts are going to be there. It's not about not focusing on them. It's about focusing on something else. So when you try to avoid them, you're actually focusing on them and it's creating more problems for you. So I think what, what you would want to try to figure out is what is something more proactive that you can focus on, whether that's like, you know, in your stroke or in your cadence or in your breathing, what is something that keeps you moving forward that is, is more productive? What would you say that would be, Molly? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I, well, I, my goal is to swim calmly okay. and I'm not quite there yet. So I guess I could be my breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah likes to think about the blue or the green of the water, but then I just start thinking about how deep it is. Uh-huh. So maybe not that. Yep. I look at the shore. I like to look at the shore. Okay. Yeah. So I think a, probably a couple things to, to focus on would be, you know, one would be really trying to find that nice stroke cadence and, and feeling that and, and really allowing your focus to be there to focus on your breathing. And a lot of people will play with that. You can 
work on you know counting breaths one side and then switching after you hit maybe four or five and then switching to the other side or really focusing on just nice rhythmic breathing in the water and then that mm-hmm. external focus as well like like picking a point if you're I always think about breathing on my left side right when I swim so looking out the left side and trying to connect to a point on the shore that can be your place that you check in with on your breath cycle. So again, it's all about connecting to something positive or neutral that keeps you moving um, as opposed to focusing in on, on either the fear or not feeling the fear. Those things are going to backfire for you. Okay. Good okay. advice. Because I also know, so um, Molly and I go every Sunday to this pond um, uh, about 20 minutes north of here. And it definitely is literally my happy place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, I, 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 I think it's heaven. And, um, and I so enjoy it when I'm in there, but I, even as much as I love it and I've hearkened to it during the week, like when I'm stressed, I think about being in that green water and seeing the blue sky overhead when I turn to breathe. But even then when I get there, I still have to kind of talk myself down to get into the water mm-hmm. and start the swimming. Mm-hmm. And I, what I always do is I wait for a moment of calm to come over me because I feel there's a right time to, to start everything. Mm. Like, like with, like when I go out to start running, I wait for, like, I don't know whether it's a certain breath or a certain gust of air or something. I don't know, but I just am like, okay, that that's it. That's when I'm supposed to start. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't know why it is, but I just, and then, because I feel like, oh, if I, if I like, cause I'll occasionally start and then I'll get a little panicky feeling. I lift my head and I'm like, no, 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 this is what you love. Wow. And then, I just wait for a calm to come over me and then I just like almost dive into that calm as, as certainly as I dive into the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, it's like, there's a couple parts to that, right? There's one, there's this cognitive piece of checking in with yourself and saying, wait a minute, hold on. I I actually like this and I enjoy this. This is where I want to be. And then it's like connecting to that. There's this, that internal sense, right? That internal feeling of of being calm and being prepared and i think you can cultivate that i think we can all cultivate that um one by using the mind but then two by by really focusing on the breath and it could be as simple as um you know just standing there and breathing in slowly and deeply and breathing out slowly and deeply um, for a minute or two allowing the breath to create Mm -hmm. that calm Hmm, that's a good idea do you meditate too Absolutely. And I, we talk a lot about mindfulness-based meditation, um, really with everybody that comes to see me and a lot with athletes, um, mm-hmm. because we can be an, an anxious bunch um, <laughs> and we're, we could be a pressured bunch, right? We have these ideas of things we want to do and we get wrapped up in the mind and breathing, just the simple process of breathing can bring that all down and create that sense of calm. Do you meditate when you run and work out? Um, you know, I, I try to, um, I do try to, to connect to breathing when I run to mm-hmm. have this like flow kind of experience. Um, and mm-hmm. so there it's really about breath control and being in tune with where my body is and not worrying so much about what the numbers are saying or what I'm supposed to do that day. But like just really mm-hmm. connecting again to the, the pursuit and the flow of movement. I mean, I think that's what a lot of us enjoy about this and, but what also gets lost, you know, we're, we're all connected to gadgets. Mm-hmm. We're all wearing watches. We're checking our paces, our heart rates. We've got a lot of people are listening to music and pretty soon that idea of just mm-hmm. natural movement and flow, which is, you know, I think about my kids when they run, they're just in the backyard running, right? And it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Like we lose sight of that as adults because we're tracking too much mentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. I mean, that's exactly what it, I mean, that's when, when I love this, the part of swimming and the part of running. I mean, that just when you lose track of, of the strokes you're taking, you just realize, oh, I've been going for a really long time and I haven't lifted my head or I haven't, if it's running, I haven't looked at my watch. Just that's that, that flow of movement. I love that. That's a really yeah powerful, evocative phrase. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, oh. and I think it's important for our well being, right? I mean, that ability to just connect to our bodies and our breathing and, and movement and get out of our minds a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What an ironic thing for a psychologist to say. <laughs> <laughs> Not thinking so soothing. much. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I, that's I'm having the exact same feel. I'm mm. like, oh, right. That's why I loved having Justin on the podcast. I feel calmer already. <laughs> the, the look of panic has cr- yeah. has left her face, it so works. we're good. <laughs> yes. You can send her the bill to my address. It's okay. <laughs> so, so it has been really great talking with you again, Justin. It sure has, Justin. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I um, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you both, and um, this is such great stuff I think for all of us to be focusing on so I appreciate the opportunity so did I tell you all was he just like the most awesome guest oh I loved him I want to marry him but <laughs> he's married and as as you we've, are we've just talked about yes i am too right so <laughs> i guess that won't work out but no so soothing i mean obviously he's uh he's gone to school for this i uh, also loved how he let there be some silence to see if you would keep talking you know uh, that whole thing yeah yeah, uh, yeah. you know not rushing in to uh-huh. give an answer but waiting to see what your comments were very good um, yeah yeah yeah, that was... Oh, yeah. No, he was great. I'd love to talk to him again. I'd like to hear how his, his race goes and yeah, yeah. Um, what, you know, his process is. I mean, you know, I don't know how much he wants to share about all that, but it's interesting to hear how the expert deals with mental stress and that he's encountered the same kinds of things that everybody's encountered. Right, yeah. right. And he also told us um, off off the recording, he was telling us that his, I asked him what his marathon where he qualified for. And he said it was the light at the end of the tunnel, which is up in Washington and involves running through a two mile long former train tunnel. And then he also told us that he, a black bear ran in front of his train. Which is crazy. In mile 12. It's like, oh. Where is it in Washington? I do not know, but several mother runners have said, oh, Sarah, you ought to try to qualify up at this, you know, marathon that goes through this tunnel. I'm like, that sounds horrifying. Well, is it north of Seattle or? I do not know at all. We'd almost have to Google it. Because with the bear, I'm wondering, is it in the Cascades or? Mm, Yeah, I I don't know. I do not. Yeah, but I mean, also you'd think there'd be a lot of, not a lot of runners. I know it's not a huge race, but, you know, it's not like he was out there by himself. So no. the bear must have been like, forget this, man. I just got to cross at some point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like the cars that line up on either side of a it marathon. Sounds like an intriguing race. Oh, look at you, Molly. Now you're ah. all, uh, I, you are not going to talk to me. Att- I mean, <laughs> serious. Embrace your fears. Find your attack. zen place. Nope, 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 nope. I can there... put my face in that green water of Kleinline Pond all day long. <laughs> there's hardly any rabies and bats in around. Well, there's some. There's some. But you'd probably probably be fine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, it's time to bring on Dimity for a Train Like a Mother Club update. She just unveiled a slew of new programs, including a five-week Saucony stride into the school year and half marathon and marathon training programs for winter races. So calling all you gals in the South, Texas, Arizona, and the like, those are uh, largely for you, where races where race season is different than it is in some other parts of the country. For details and to register, go to trainlikeamother.club. That's trainlikeamother.club. Now here's Dimity. Hello, hello. This is Dimity in Denver, and we do indeed have a whole bunch of programs opening up soon in the Train Like a Mother Club, including our very own version of Starbucks called the Bammer Coffee House, hashtag Bammer Coffee House, where you can come in you know, sit at your kitchen table, sip a glass of wine, or make yourself a latte prior and chat with your fellow Bammers about anything from your training plans to gear to whatever is on your mind, truly, running related or not. We'll have coaches dropping in there as well, and um, maybe a surprise appearance from a physical therapist or a nutritionist. Um, But it's just a fun way to gather in a more intimate setting um, for people who maybe don't want to be on a challenge plan, but still like the camaraderie that the and the momentum that um, group training brings having, having a team. We like to have a team. Um, And speaking of that, so in the heart rate challenges, we've been talking a little bit about running without music and why that's important sometimes to tune in instead of tune out or um, and uh, it's hard to do, but again, sometimes taking your focus off a podcast, say, or um, or the latest, you know, Britney 
album or whatever you listen to is a good idea. And so um, Patty uh, tried it. She is in the half marathon plan. And she said, well, this morning I went out with no distraction. The only sounds were my feet hitting the pavement, nature all around, and, and this is in all caps, my thighs rubbing together. OMG, swish, swish, swish. Lord help me. The good news, no Toby. And um, the no Toby line, if you need to look it up, someone uh, referenced it below in the comments. It's um, from the office when Toby returned and Steve um, Carell goes all crazy. So quite funny. Um, Anyway, and then a couple comments beneath it that made me laugh. Um, Kiana says, I'm afraid to run in the fall because my thigh chub rub may cause sparks to ignite the dry leaves. Um, Aaron says, uh, me too. No music for me today. I could hear the crickets and the birds and my skirt flapping as it got filled with sweat. Um, and then um, the last one is from Sarah. That's why I will never wear anything besides capris. I look at those Olympic runners and their little bottoms and think, not this mama, which um, was so funny because I just had a conversation with Coach MK about um, about those little bun huggers and how they stay on. In particular, how Carrie Walsh um, Jennings, I think it's her name, Carrie Walsh something, the, the, the beach volleyball player, she is a mom and she has those tight little bottoms and I don't know how she doesn't sometimes just have a huge wedgie from d diving around in the sand, but she always seems to be so composed and, and her bottoms always look great. So anyway, that's what you needed to know. We went from coffee house to Olympic bottoms and um, I will see you next week. All right. And on Monday, August 22, otherwise known as this coming Monday, if you're listening to this episode within a few days of its debut, we are unveiling a not to be missed giveaway on the Another Mother Runner website. Seriously, folks, it is epic. Two small spoilers. The giveaway involves the AMR Run and Refresh Retreat next month in Spokane and our premier partner. You can only enter the giveaway from Monday, August 22 through Wednesday, August 24. So be sure you hustle to anothermotherrunner.com to enter. Or go to our site now, while you're thinking about it, to sign up to receive our daily emails to ensure you don't miss the chance to enter. If you don't already get our daily missives, you'll get a pop-up screen when you go to anothermotherrunner.com that'll prompt you to sign up for emails. Thanks, and I promise you will want to win this giveaway. Many happy, mentally strong miles. 